Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Troy Baum of the Raven Institute of Ministry of Biblical Studies. Good to have you here this morning on a bright and sunny Wednesday, if you happen to be listening to us live here from Daytona Beach, Florida. Good to have everyone here today for us with our uh, teaching on the book of Romans. We're here uh, every day, uh, Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a study, uh, an expository study and teaching on the Word of God. We're so glad that you joined us today. Today we are going to be in the, the, uh, back in the seventh chapter of the book of Romans, and this will be our 86th class in the book of Romans. We actually started this, Deb, Deb is my studio audience over here, we actually started this back in May, and so what has that been, five? We've actually been in the book of Romans five, five or six months, almost six months we've been in the book of Romans, we're on chapter seven, which leaves us, what, nine, about eight and a half probably chapters to, to fulfill it, and so uh, uh, I'll see y'all next year, we'll be continuing in this, but it's, it's good, so good to have everyone here in the book of Romans, but really, you know, if you're, uh, Pastor Meredith called me from uh, Raven Fairfield yesterday, he said, what you need to do is just take one verse a week, he said, because, he said, it feels like my head is going to pop, there's just so much information I get on a weekly basis, and, but, you know, I said it before, folks, listen, this isn't to, uh, uh, to be a substitute for your Bible study, this is to subsidize your Bible study, so what I'm hoping is, is I can pop your head and fill it up with some stuff, and get you into the Word of God, because my expectancy for you, regardless of, of where, whether you're in vocational ministry or not, is for you to take these things and uh, uh, allow God to just give you a greater revelation on these things. You know, by no means do I think this is the end-all, wear-all, but this should be a catalyst for you to get a hunger into the Word of God. What I'm believing is that there's many pastors and preachers, teachers, uh, expositors, apologists out there that God is raising up. And hopefully this will be just that thing that kind of sparks something in you to get into the Word of God. So that's what that's what our prayer is. We need some sound effects here in the studio. But that, that's really my, my hope is that these, um, these teachings will spark that in you and give you a, a hunger for the, for the Word of God and desire, just like he, he did for me years and years ago. So thank you so much for joining us. If you have not been here in our previous classes... And you are uh, thinking to yourself, man, this is class number 86. Where are they at? How, I missed out on all this. You really haven't missed out. We make these things available daily on our website. You can go to biggrace.com and click Raven Magazine, and you can get the daily classes. Or you can go to Raven Institute uh, button on our biggrace.com uh, website as well, and uh, that will be available to you too. So encourage you to, to come and be a part of uh, the teaching and to go and to uh, download those things. Uh, that you got as well. Welcome back. Anyway, we just got somebody walking in our studio audience. I'm just greeting them here. But anyway, good to have you this morning for the Raven Institute. Glad to, uh, glad that you're here as a part of that and just believing God's going to show up in a, in a great way today for that. So we're going to go to the Lord in prayer today and just uh, believe God for a good time in the Word and that uh, He'll use this Word as a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. So you can go and accomplish everything that he's called you and destined you for for his kingdom. Father, we just thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to come together before you. Lord God, to, to search out your scriptures, Lord God. To know you, Lord God, in a, in a deeper and more intimate way. And Father, I thank you, Lord God, for just the, the dedication of your servants, Lord God, your, your, your children. That, that just want to come to your table, Lord God, on a daily basis, Lord God, and just to, to have fellowship with you. We just ask for your, your presence to be here and just to give understanding. Father, we just ask for, for the utterance, Lord God, to, to open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Father, I, I confess, Lord God, that in and of myself I have no ability. But Lord God, I thank you, Lord God, that there is an ability, Lord God, that transcends, Lord God, the limitations of my own abilities or understanding. 
And Father, what my prayer is, Lord God, is for your anointing to be present here today, for you to guide, to lead, Lord God, to instruct in the ways of righteousness, Lord God, by your Holy Spirit. Because you said when the Comforter comes that he will lead and guide us into all truth. And Lord God, that's what we desire to have is a relentless pursuit of the truth this morning, Lord God. I just ask you to, to, to give us the mind of Christ. Just cause our hearts and minds to be like a reservoir, Lord God, to be filled up with the waters of life. In Jesus' name, Lord God, we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. Once again, if you're just slipping in and joining us, thank you so much for joining uh, us here. I am Pastor Troy Baum, the Executive Director of Raven Ministries International, and this is the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. Good to have you here joining us live in the studio. So, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to wait for the screeching because it picks everything picks up on my thing here. Anyway, uh, got your Bibles, turn to the seventh chapter of the book of Romans, and we're going to dive right in today. If you were with us or been with us this past week, um, I tell you what, there's been some uh, some things that, you know, Pastor Terry, who just walked in, he's not going to be live with me today, but know that he didn't get raptured or uh, or fall off the wagon or something. He and Eileen are here in the studios with us as well. But uh, we were talking about some things that really get you to thinking on a different level. And, and folks, that's really what we need to do. I know myself, I, I don't want to be uh, next week in a place that I am this week. I want there to be a, a growth and I want there to be a, a maturation process that's literally happening in my life on, on a daily basis. You know, we, we pray, you know, give us this day our daily bread. Folks, this is our daily bread. This Word is our sustenance. This is what we need. And so I don't want to, go, uh, to try to coast or to rest upon my laurels or anything like that, whatever terminology you want to use. I want to find myself desiring after the Word of God, hungering after Him, being like the deer that pants after the, the water brook and, and seeking Him diligently and earnestly on a daily basis and, and watching Him move and operate in my life. And so we've been talking about those things that literally, and I mentioned this earlier in the program, that makes you want to pop. And so in our last class, you know, and, uh, we, we continued our discussion really on what I called a... a, a, a Really, the seventh chapter, I called it a parenthetical statement that's kind of placed within the confines of this doctrinal letter that Paul has written to the church at Rome that's really designed to keep everything in perspective in order to eliminate the trappings of the sin nature itself. Folks, listen, if we do not keep, and I've preached on this so many times, I've talked about it so many times, if we do not keep and maintain the God perspective on things, what we will do is we will find ourselves slipping back into the trappings of the sin nature. When I talk about the sin nature, I'm talking about the, the nature that came upon us and became inherent to us at the fall of Adam in the garden. You know, there are those two natures. There's that, that reborn nature that, that is given to us through the new birth and through the born-again experience. But there's that sin nature that represents who we were before we came to Christ Jesus. When we lose perspective, when we lose what the, the perspective that God has given us in relationship to our relationship with Him, what happens is we begin to digress and we begin to walk not after the Spirit of God, but after the flesh. And, and so we'll see the fulfillment of those type of things. What this letter has done and what Paul is, is, is really trying to drive home, and, and he, he makes this point in these, in these uh, 25 verses of chapter 7, that this parenthetical statement, he's saying, guys, listen, don't think for a moment that anybody is immune to the attacks of the adversary through the sin nature. He said, I'm here to tell you. I, I'm a person that, that, that had that, that, that face-to-face encounter with, with, with the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And I'm telling you, it is easy to slip. He said, it's, it's almost easier to slip when you know rather than when you don't know. 
because what he found is the adversary using the, the knowledge that he had acquired through the law, through the fact that he was a Pharisee, through the fact that he had all these, these, these accolades and all these accomplishments. That's why Paul the Apostle ends up saying, listen, I count all that stuff as dumb. That stuff is rubbish to me. He said, and, and you know, that, that I might win Christ, that I might uh, obtain the excellency of Him. And so what Paul is saying elsewhere, and really what he's trying to underscore here in the seventh chapter, is don't get don't fall into the trap of, of saying, you know what, I, I did a Bible study, or I go to church, or I got a position, or I'm this or that. Folks, the adversary will use those things to ensnare you just as he would use an adulterous relationship. He would use a, a situation of, of, of embezzlement or, or whatever the trapping might be or unforgiveness. He'll take and use something that, that seemed to be so good and, and so righteous to trap you just as quick. And a lot of times those are the easiest snares to fall into. And so what this has in, involved has been really the ease in which a believer can slip back into a dependence upon other things that may look righteous and seem to be in line with faith in Christ, Jesus alone, yet in reality and at best uh, they become self-righteousness uh, resulting from attempts to couple the gospel with something else that in effect altogether eliminates the effects that the gospel has upon our lives. And so for the Jews or for those that had familiarized themselves with their customs, which could also be the, the, the Gentiles that lived according to that time, uh, it was the law or an, or an effort to combine grace through faith with a personal ability to somehow maintain a, a biblical standard of righteousness because of their knowledge of the law. And that's what Paul the Apostle was specifically mentioning here in the 7th chapter. He said, listen, I, 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 I had this experience with Jesus, but I found myself through that experience thinking, okay, now... I can achieve the law. And we kind of touched on this uh, just uh, momentarily the other day when someone brought up the question, I believe it was uh, uh, Lucy from uh, 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 Raven East Coast, about the issue with the Messianic Jews. And you find so many people that, quote-unquote, become Messianic Jews. Now, I'm not talking about Jewish people that, that accept Jesus. I'm talking about Gentile people that accept Jesus and think that somehow they've got to revert back to some type of Judaism. Folks, listen, that's, that's exactly what Paul was warning about right here. Don't think that you can go now and fulfill the works of the flesh, that you can go and, and, and find yourself uh, 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 celebrating certain feasts or these type of things that were meant for a, 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 just a, a sign or, or think that you're, you're going to rediscover your Jewish roots or just thinking that just blowing a shofar is going to somehow equate to holiness. Folks, listen, all those things were types and shadows. Those things were, were finished and accomplished upon the cross of Calvary. We've got to come to the point where we have a complete and utter dependence that Jesus fulfilled all of those things and when he said from the cross as he hung there it is finished that it was finished that the law was fulfilled in him now I'm not talking about all these ceremonial laws I'm talking about the, the moral law uh, that, that he gave us we call it the ten commandments minus the fourth commandment which was the keeping of the Sabbath which was largely ceremonial and related to the, the, the Jewish culture at the time but uh, not the 600 more laws that the Jews added after the fact uh, I'm talking about the, the law of God that is, that is written upon our hearts because we've become His living epistle. We've got to come to that point where we have a dependence upon Him. And so what Paul is trying to teach us that there is a victory. Folks, some of you have wondered to yourself, and you probably thought it aloud and said it, God, is there genuinely a victory for me? Is there a victory over the sin nature? Is there ability to overcome? Lord God, I've struggled with these issues in my life for years and years and years. Lord God, I've, I've worried over this. I've tried to overcome it. These sins have easily beset me. Is there a victory for me? Folks, listen. 
Paul is trying to teach us that there is a victory. But you've got to find the, the place where victory is in order to achieve victory. Victory is not going to be found with, 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 with thinking that I can do things according to my own flesh or to my nature based upon what I've achieved or what I've learned. We can achieve and maintain an acceptable level of holiness in our walk with Jesus Christ. That is something that, is, that, that, that I believe that is definite. That we can be holy even as He is holy because when we put faith in the One who is holy. Folks, there's none righteous, not even one. All have fallen out of the way. That's why we've got to come to that one source and that one place that's going to provide our victory for us. We do not have to walk out a life of compromise and bondage and uncertainty. That there is a hope that maketh not ashamed, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 5. We don't have to concede our thoughts and our actions and all these things according to our will to the sin nature. We don't have to do those things. And so we need to get that in our heart that, that we're, we can't say, well, that's just the way it is. And, you know, I'm just weak and, and I'm just this old sinner. Or, or you know what, we're going to struggle. We're going to have these type of things. Folks, you don't have to do that. I got a telephone call uh, yesterday from a pastor friend of mine. And he was talking about counseling a family. It's a, a, a mom and dad and a 20-year-old son that still lives at home and is a college student. But he had prefaced the conversation by telling me just that this young man is such a, uh, you know, uh, loves Jesus and he's so dedicated to, to God. He said, man, this is a kid that loves God. And he said, but I was at their house talking to him and he and his mom got in a great uh, big argument about an issue in his life. He said, you know, this young man has a beer every once in a while and he don't see anything wrong with it. You know, and, and, and his mom just began to uh, challenge him on it. And he said, you know, I had to tell his mom that, listen, do you ever see your son drunk? Well, he don't get drunk, does he? And, you know, does, does, does he go to church? Absolutely. And, and he was trying to defend this young man's compromise. And so he, he began to say, you know what, so many people get tied up in those little things like that. Folks, it's, it's always the little the leaven that, that leavens the whole lump. And so I told him, I said, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. I said, but, but let me back off just a little bit. I said, the issue with that was not the beer. The issue was, just as Paul the Apostle said, if it offends my brother for me to eat meat, I won't eat meat. I said, what we want to do is we want to live a life trying to maintain an, an our standard of acceptability. Rather than saying, listen, God, what my life is, is altruism. I live my life for the benefit of someone else. And folks, listen, when you have that, no greater love has any man known than a man that would lay down his life for a friend. What did Jesus do? He said, I came not to be served, or I didn't come for you for to, 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 to somehow try to justify what I'm doing. He said, I came to serve you. I came to lay down my life for you that you might have life. And so I told him, I said, really what you should have counseled this young man is saying, listen, if, if, is, is that, what is your devotion? Is your devotion to that occasional beer uh, greater than your devotion for your love for someone else? I said, if that's the case, then you need to begin to do it. I gave him a situation where years ago I had a brother in the Lord uh, tell me that there was something that I was, uh, an event, a sporting event that I was going to on a regular basis that he didn't think it was appropriate. And so I told him, okay, I'll never go there again. And I never stepped back inside of one of those type of sporting events. And, uh, and I said, did I feel personally convicted about it? No, not at all. Uh, could I have said, well, you go, to this, you go to a boxing match and it has violence, or you go to a football game and it's got violence, so what's the difference between me going to, to watching these guys that are grapplers and these, uh, these uh, martial artists? I could have said that. But, folks, that wasn't even the point. The point was that I had a chance and an opportunity that God was affording me just as this young man was given an opportunity to say, listen, 
there's something greater than my personal wants and my personal needs. And I've, I've got to, to, to disqualify my sin nature's longing to justify itself and look towards something else. And folks, really, that's what it all has to come down for. We can have a victory, but we've got to understand our victory is not about us. Our, our victory is not about our wills or our desire or trying to justify something. Can you justify it? Yeah, you can justify those things. You can point at somebody else and say, well, listen, I'm not as bad as that person. I don't drink as much as them. I'm not as unforgiving as that individual. Folks, listen, the standard has got to be the cross of Calvary. Paul the Apostle, what he's trying to tell us in this parenthetical statement of chapter 7, he says, listen, when you start looking elsewhere except the cross of Calvary, what you're going to find yourself doing is diluting the standard of righteousness. You're going to begin, even though it starts out looking good and looking righteous and looking like a good thing, as you begin to inject other things in, that's how I was raised. That's what I was taught. You don't understand my situation. My husband's not been good to me. My wife nags. My children did this. My circumstance. I don't have enough money. My church won't do this. Or I can't get anybody to help me. Folks, you have lo- if, if you get to that point, you have lost focus altogether. You have got to set your affections on those things above and not beneath. You have got to tell yourself, listen, it, it has nothing to do with those things. The, the standard that has been set before me is Christ and Him crucified the power of God. Where we fail is where we lose our focus upon the God perspective and instead find ourselves focusing on the arm of the flesh and calling it a relationship with Jesus. There's a lot of things, folks, that we can call a relationship with Jesus that are not a relationship with Jesus. And so all of these lessons that really that we've been taught throughout the book of Romans really work towards the same conclusion. I mean, really, if you get down to it, we, we've been in 85 lessons, but really every single one of them are working towards the exact same conclusion. That, in, that conclusion is it's through faith in the finished work of redemption that Jesus Christ provided for us through His death, burial, and resurrection and in maintaining that understanding through a continual relationship with Him that we have eternal life. That's really what it comes down to. That it's through faith in Him alone not deviating over here in, in a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of religion or a little bit of Jesus a little bit of law, a little bit of Jesus and a, and a little bit of trying to do my own thing. It comes down to that one, that one solitary thing that, listen, I have got to keep and maintain my focus upon the one who was wounded for my transgressions, who was bruised for my iniquities, who was chastised for my peace, who, who bore stripes for my healing, that everything that I have, everything that I need, anything that I can accomplish, it's got to flow through that one solitary vein, and that vein is, is the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross and His resurrection from the grave three days later, allowing that to come into my life through faith and doing the things that He's told us to do. And so, yesterday, folks, we talked about how all this related to Jesus' instructions to His disciples uh, when they asked Him to teach us how to pray. And I want to touch on this today just, just briefly. Uh, you know, Jesus, his, his disciples in, in Luke 11, 1, they said, Father, teach us, Lord Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so he responded in verse 2, and he said, When you come to me, he said, Pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. And this is what we talked about, and I want to touch on it this morning in relationship to this, this statement that Paul's making in, chapter, in these 25 verses of chapter 7. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so... He, he said when you pray, he said, pray like this. Pray that when God's will is accomplished now, that it will be accomplished equivalent to the way that it would be accomplished in heaven. Now let me ask you a question. How often do you really pray that way? Do you pray? Do you, let me ask you, here's a better question. 
Do you ever ask yourself, uh, say to yourself, let me, wait, hold on, let me, let me back up and set you up to answer this question. Do you think in heaven, God's response to everything is going to be instantaneous and totally holy? Do you think there's going to be this, this waiting? Do you, or do you think in eternity that you're not going to have a rebellion that's going to rise up? And God, is that going to happen? God's going to deal with everything. It's, everything's going to be in the now. And so when you pray, do you say, God, I want you to deal with me right now? Or do you say, God, I want you to challenge me right now? I want you to expect from me right now what you're going to expect from me then. Do you say that? Now, what, is, what do you think God's expectation from you is going to be in heaven? What do you think it's going to be? Do you think God's expectation from you in heaven is going to be compromise? Do you think God's expectation from you in heaven is going to be uh, uh, holding on to, 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 to pet sins or to offenses or unforgiveness? Do you think that that's God's expectation? So if you're truly praying in accordance to what He said, if you're going to pray, pray like this. Why, don't, why do you expect God to deal with you now differently than He's going to deal with you then? When he sets you up by saying, when you pray, pray like this, it's because this is my expectancy. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will in heaven is going to be good, perfect, and acceptable. Doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't it sound a lot like Romans 12 too? That don't, uh, let this, uh, that, that don't be conformed to the image of this world or your will conform to this world, this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, your mind that you can prove out what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Folks, I know I, I need to learn how to, to walk continuously in the good and acceptable and perfect will now because that's what He expects from me in the now. And so you're also familiar, and I say that to set you up for this verse. You're so familiar with probably the most familiar verse in Scripture you sit flashed upon signs at football stadiums. And it's John 3.16. Uh, for God what so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so I want to go a little bit deeper into just that aspect on setting your, your focus upon eternity because that's really what the gospel is all about. It's about setting your focus upon heavenly things, upon the, the gospel, not getting caught up with the, the things of the world so you can walk in victory. And so I want to give you something uh, uh, to hopefully get you to personally dig a little bit deeper. And I believe that God is going to give... Some of you, some of you God's going to put a little bit preaching. You're going to get a message... God's going to give you a sermon. God is going to give you a teaching. God's going to give you something to study it out. And I'd love to hear that message that God gives you and how He reveals this to you as I kind of drop something in you to kind of hopefully be a catalyst for that. If we are to pray this, now think about this, and here's my point this morning. If we are to pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then what I'm praying is that the will of God will be made manifest here in the now. Right? Somebody say, now. I want God's will to be made now uh, in the same way that it is made manifest in eternity. I can say that. I think I can say that uh, unequivocally that that's what He is telling us to do. And so we know the condition of heaven. We know that it's a place of holiness. It's a, right, it's a place of righteousness. It's a place of worship. It's a place of perfection. If I just want to have one word, heaven is going to be perfect. And so we know that our condition will be just that same way. That in heaven, we're going to be walking in a place of complete obedience, complete righteousness, complete holiness, complete justification before God, a complete perfect relationship with Him once ago. And so, uh, once again, so having said that, we can say that we need to have an eternally focused perspective now in order to have an eternally perspective, resolute walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Would, you, would that not be uh, uh, true? 
that if I have an eternally focused perspective, that I'm going to be resolute, that I'm going to be steadfast, and I'm going to be determined in my walk with the Lord Jesus Christ now. And so here's what I want to drop into you uh, from probably that, that most uh, recognizable verse in the New Testament. For God so loved the world that He gave what His only begotten Son, that those that, uh, that, that believeth on Him would not... What's that next word? Would not perish. Write that word, perish down. That they would not perish. And so, there's two words here that I want to bring uh, out in, in regards to this chapter 7 teaching uh, and bring them into perspective for you. One is perish, because we haven't talked about that. The other was everlasting or eternal life. That word everlasting, eternal, the exact same Greek word, once translated everlasting, once translated eternal. So, you don't have to spend a whole lot of time doing a word search on that exact same word. It's I believe it's Strong's 166, if you want a number for it. And so, perish, everlasting, exact same Greek word. I mean, excuse me, everlasting, eternal, exact same Greek word. And so we talked about everlasting in, in kind of detail. But when I say the word perish, what do you think of? What do you see when I say that, that those who believe in Him will not perish? What, what's conjured up in you? Death? Death? When you speak of death, what do you, what do you mean death? Pass away? Somebody, someone said here? That he that believes in him will not perish. Death to God, eternal judgment, eternal hell. Now I want to, I want to give you something. Do you see that as something that is, is a future consequence or a future sentence that's, uh, that's, that's bestowed upon the unrepentant heart? Will not, will not perish? Because it's easy to, to see that in that perspective. But I think if you see perishing as something future you will unwittingly see eternal life as something futuristic as well. And you'll walk and act accordingly. Here's the reason I say that. When we look at, say, John 3.16, we'll just, we'll just encapsulate that verse just for a second. That God loved us so much, right, there's no question about that, God loves us, God is love, that He gave His only Son. There's the, there's the message of the cross. That those who believe on Him, we know that we've got to have a belief on Him. He that believes on Him, as the Word says, out of his belly is going to flow rivers of living water. That's going to be your testimony. That's going to be your life. That's going to be all those things that encompass that. And he will not perish. Okay, where are we looking towards? Are we looking towards the future? But we'll have everlasting life. Here's the problem that people have in looking at that verse in relationship to what Paul's talking about in chapter 7. They see perishing out here and they see everlasting out here. Folks, let's pull those things down to a now perspective. Because here's the reason I say that. With mankind, with we as humans, we're always waiting for something to happen. We're always waiting on something to happen or always reminiscing about what has already happened. You know what I'm saying? We're always nostalgic about the past and we're always uh, you know, uh, uh, hopeful about the future. But when God sees things, He sees everything right now. Do you hear me? Because His ways are not our ways. Have you ever noticed when you read the book of Genesis that you can take and flip over and read the book of Revelation? When's the book of Revelation pertaining to? In the future. But you know what, folks? Because of who God is, because of His omniscience, because He knows everything, He's already seen everything in the now. Now, that, that's, a, that's a great big thing. Folks, when you think eternally, you are always thinking in the now. And so here's the trap that people fall into and here's the snare that the adversary puts in front of people. He always tells you, okay, you know what? I'm going to do that tomorrow. 
or, or hopefully one day. Or, you know, I know I need to get into my Word and, you know, I plan on doing that. Or I know I really need to take the time to pray, and so next week I'm going to do that. I know I need to get right with God. I know I no, I no longer can live with this woman that I'm living with and this immorality. But, you know, one day I'm, I'm hopeful that that's going to happen. Folks, listen. God doesn't see those things in that condition. He sees everything in the now. And so everything that, that He sees is encapsulated in, 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 one, in, in one frame, so to speak. And so when he says he's the author and the finisher of your faith, he sees it in the now. And so, folks, when we begin to see it in the now and get the God perspective upon things, what can we begin to experience? We can begin to experience victory now. We can begin to experience deliverance now. We can begin to experience healing now. We can begin to experience joy now. We can begin to experience holiness and righteousness in the now. The problem is, is the adversary begins to bring all these other things into our life that distract us from, the, from focusing upon eternity. Eternity is always a now thing. I want to give you something to think about. Matthew 24, verses 43 through 51. 43 through 51. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Now, we get people on the streets all the time that, that tell us, uh, listen, you know what, I, I, I know you're right, and I, I know what you're telling me is true, and I've heard it, and you know what, and I know one day I'm going to do that. Several times on the streets I've told people, I've said, listen, can you do me a favor? And they said, well, what is it? I said, will you call me up about ten minutes before you're about to die? And so I can come and pray with you and hopefully lead you to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they always have that same look on their face. They're like, well, I don't know when I'm going to die. And I say, exactly. You do not know when the thief is going to come and your soul is going to be required of you. But folks, we think that way. He says, therefore, in verse 44, be ready. You know what ready is? Ready is a now word. Ready doesn't mean that I'm going to be ready later. Ready means that it's going to, at any given time, that there is a full expectancy upon me right now that Jesus could split the eastern skies, that, that in the next ten seconds that I could be standing before Him and I'm going to give an account. And folks, we've got to maintain a ready perspective on things. For the Son of Man is coming as an, at an hour that you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? It is whom the master made ruler over his household to give him food in due season. But it says, Blessed is the servant who the master, when he comes, finds him so doing. Or finds him ready. Finds him occupying. Finds him thinking towards eternity. Finds him operating as though the master was right there with him. He said, Assuredly, I say to you, that he will indeed make him ruler over all of his good. But if the servant, evil servant, says in his heart, My master is delayed in coming. You know what? I've got plenty of time. And begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come in a day that he is not looking for him and in an hour he is not aware of. And he will cut him in two and appoint his portion with the hypocrites. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Folks, listen. I want to bring that into perspective for something. He calls both of those servants. Okay? He says both of those occupied his house. Both of those people, both of those individuals that he's speaking of and given this analogy of, were people that that had a quote unquote relationship with him. But for whatever reason, and we know the reason, one of them maintained an eternal perspective. 
He said, listen, I need to act as though the master's here. I need to act as though he's about to walk through that door at any given time. The other one said, you know what? The master's delayed coming. There's going to be plenty of time to clean up my mess. There's going to be plenty of time to lay down my addictions. There's going to be plenty of time to let go of these offenses. There's going to be plenty of time to get in the Word. There's going to be plenty of time to do these type of things. And it says the master showed up in an hour that he did not expect and he was cut in two and his portion uh, was, was, uh, was given to someone else and he was accounted as a hypocrite and he was cast into the place with, gnashing, uh, with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Folks, that is an eternal hell separated from God. Folks, there is a reward in so doing. So doing what? Doing now as if it was then. Okay? Your reward is in doing now as if it was in was then. And so you're going to do your perspective. My perspective has got to be, Lord God, I want to live now as though any second Jesus is going to return. I don't want my religion. I don't want the things that I'm doing. I don't want legalism. I don't want other relationships. I don't want stress. I don't want fear, doubt, and unbelief. I don't want any of those things to come and become another law to me. Anything that would focus me different. Now, does that mean that I'm just going to sit somewhere in the lotus position and cross my legs and, and put my fingers together and hum? Absolutely not. But what it means is as I'm walking through those issues of life, my perspective is always on heaven. That, that, uh, that a thousand can fall by my right side and ten thousand by my left. But you know what? It makes me no difference because my perspective is a now perspective. And none of these things are the now. Those things are something that had to do with my past or what the nature that I used to be involved with. Those are part of the sin nature. Those are a, a part of, uh, of something that no longer represents who I am now. And so, when John 3.16 says this, you will not perish, but will have everlasting life, Folks, it's easy to see both of those things as a distant goal that we're merely hoping to one day attain. But folks, both of those situations, and I'll say it again, are now situations. You are either right now walking in the condition of the perishing or you are walking in the condition of the everlasting. Now, I want to give you a scripture on that. 2 Corinthians 4.3 2 Corinthians 4.3 I want to say that again. Right now, you are either walking in the condition of the perishing or you are walking in the condition of the everlasting. And neither one of those has anything to do with your bumper sticker. Neither one of those has anything to do with the time that you walked that aisle and got dipped in the tank. And none of those things have to do with your t-shirt or your, your, your gold cross hanging off your necklace. None of those, neither one of those conditions have anything to do with anything outward, folks. Listen to me. But you are either walking, I'll say it again, you're either walking in the condition of the perishing or the everlasting. Now, 2 Corinthians 4.3. If our gospel be hidden, it is hidden to them that are lost. Now, you're saying, what does that lost have to do anything with it? Well, because that word lost is the exact same word that's used for perish in John 3.16. It's a now word describing a now condition. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are now perishing. Now listen folks, here's what that word perishing literally means. It means to be in a condition of ruin and, and, and metaphorically it means to have a devotion to hell. Okay? It means to, to, to be in a condition of ruin and to have a devotion to hell. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him would not be in ruin and devoted to hell 
that would have eternal life, a place of victory in the now, right now. Folks, listen, eternity or everlasting means that you have a devotion to heaven. Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek ye first a devotion to the things of, that are eternal. And so, folks, what the cross was designed to do as we accept its payment for our lives is to get our focus on eternity so that I will walk and reflect the characteristics of my devotion to heaven rather than the devotion to that which perishes. Now think about this, and we talked about this verse in, 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 in regard to other aspects of this teaching in Romans. John 12.32, John 12.32. He said, If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw men to me. And so he's saying, listen, if I, if I suffer the, the, the effects, if I suffer the sacrifice of the cross and pay the penalty of the law, I'm going to draw you to me. I'm going to draw what to me? Now, are you drawn to Him right now? Is your mind, is your thought? Folks, listen, that is our focus. Our focus in our heart and our devotion is drawn to Him. When we, when we quote Galatians 2.20, that I'm crucified with Christ. Now, folks, we're, we're not sitting here with a stigmata situation where we've got nail-scarred hands and, and our sides are pierced and, and there's the, the scars from the crown of thorns. No, that's not it. Our, our, our perspective is as though we were the ones that were there with Him upon the cross. We're eternally focused. Because you see it again when He tells us that, 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 that Jesus was the Lamb slain before the foundations of the world. What does that put it in? That puts it in an eternal, in a now situation. Be, be, before we were, we are, He was. And so everything about Him is, is now. And so He was slain before the foundation of the world. He wasn't wor- waiting for, for, for 4,000 years to, to, to pay the sacrifice. He saw it in the now. And so any situation that comes up, there's a now answer. For you, there's a now victory. For you, there's a now deliverance. We, we should be walking in a now healing, in a now uh, uh, restoration, in a now mindset, because we are eternally focused upon those things. Folks, do you see how easy it is for us as believers to use that? Is it easy? No, it's probably the most difficult thing because we've been so conditioned to operate or to function within this level of understanding. We, we base reality upon what we see. We base reality about the, on the bottom line or the bank account numbers or what somebody said or the doctor's report rather than saying, you know what, my reality is not right here. My reality is on something that is unseen, but it, it, but is more genuine and more real because it is eternal. It is not the, the illusion of the temporal. It's not these things that were created. The, the natural realm did not create the spiritual, but the, the spiritual created the, the natural realm, and these things are going to fade away. Folks, we've got to come to the point where our focus is eternal. So uh, uh, an eternal focus provides an eternal reward. And folks, eternity is now. Do you hear me? An eternal focus provides an eternal reward, and eternity is now. Now, within that eternity, one day, certainly, this, this, this outward body is going to be changed and transformed. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to have a, a different dwelling place. You know, all the sin nature and all those things are going to be destroyed. The, the Satan and the hypocrite and the liar and all those things, the false prophet, are going to be cast into the lake and fire. Absolutely, that stuff's going to happen. But folks, listen, eternity is now. The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. It is within you. It is a now place that we can begin to operate on if we get our focus on them. So Romans 7, 9-11. I want to read those all together this morning. He says, For I was alive without the law once, 
But the, when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it it slew me. And so what Paul came to the conclusion of, and we should come to this conclusion, is that, that he understood the snares that the enemy uses to get us to, to lose that eternal focus. And it's usually those things that seem so good and so righteous, or at the very least, just benign. And we've seen that in today's modern church. You know, is there anything wrong with, with, with people having a, a church and, and going and worshiping? Absolutely not. There's nothing wrong. That is, that is something that provides a vehicle for, 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 for uh, discipleship, for worship, for community, for fellowship. But you'll find in, in many of those cases, it, it's, it's not God-centered. It's, it's man-centered and it becomes man-focused. Once it becomes man-focused, it becomes focused upon the perishing. And it begins to, to satisfy and fulfill the lust of the flesh rather than begin to, to, to satisfy the desires of the spirit man. And so he makes the statement that the sin nature literally lured him into a false sense of security and thinking that he had arrived to the point where he was able to rely on, on what he knew, which in his case was the, the law, rather than who he knew. And he was deceived and brought back to the place of needing a greater revelation of the cross. So that's what Paul was saying. Listen, I got lulled in because I, I thought that I had come to a place of understanding. Folks, if you ever come to the place where you don't, you, don't have, you don't believe and don't understand that it's got to be a daily walk, that you've got to die to yourself daily, that you've got to seek Him on a daily basis, what you're going to find is you're going to find, just as we talked about, I believe it was yesterday or the day before, about the bait. The, the bait's going to look good, but buried in that bait is always going to be a hook that's going to ensnare you and trap you into the things of the world. And so Paul was saying, listen, I've got to get a greater revelation of the cross. Folks, listen, we have got to get a greater revelation of the cross every single day. And I tell you what, what was accomplished and what Jesus did and the price that He paid because of who He was and who He is, 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 is literally, I, I don't believe that even right now that there is ability to comprehend what happened upon the cross, the effects that it had. Listen, folks, we're not just talking about some good guy. We're not just talking about God just seeing fit to do a good deed. Now, we're talking about the essence of holiness. We are talking about the, the, the embodiment of righteousness. We are talking about the Creator of all things that was willing to, to take upon Himself the form of sinful man, that is, to come upon a, a, a physical body and endure the, the, the shame and the suffering and the punishment upon Himself to satisfy His own holiness. Do you hear me? You know what that would be like? It would be like you setting a rule in, in your house and you telling your children... I, I, I don't want you to do this. Otherwise, you're going to get grounded for a year. And so they, they, they do something. And, but out of your compassion, you say, you know what? Listen, I'm the one who set the law, and I'm going to show mercy to you. and not, I'm not going to unground you, but I'm going to ground myself for a year. Now, to us, we would think that's extreme. But folks, listen, that does not even begin to scratch the surface of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us upon the cross. Listen, we were the most vile, we were the most wretched, we were the most wicked, we, we were those things. And He came and He said, listen, I want to endure even the shame and the suffering of the cross 
And I want to fulfill not some bounty that the devil had upon people. And people get this perspective that he had to pay Satan off. Folks, listen. When we sinned, we sinned against the righteousness of God. We didn't sin against the treachery of Satan. Do you hear me? We don't owe him nothing. There's nothing. The, the, what, when when, when uh, David said, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, he said, listen, it was your commands that I broke. It was your righteousness that I, that I came against. Folks, listen. When Jesus Christ perished and, 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 and allowed the penalty of sin to be laid upon Him upon the, the cross of Calvary, He was doing it to satisfy His own holiness and His own righteousness. Now folks, listen. It would be easy for us in a similar situation to say, well listen, it's just for me anyway, so why would I bother? Why even bother? I, I could just say, listen, okay, no harm, no foul, going about your own business, you're forgiven, everybody gets into heaven. But folks, listen, that is a lack of comprehension about the holiness and the righteousness of God. The holiness and righteousness of God demands payment. And Jesus Christ said, I will be the payment because I am the only payment. Folks, listen, many of us are there right now. Your, your words sound right, your efforts look sincere enough, but under closer review, it's really not victory that you're experiencing. You're, you're, you're not seeing a victory. You're, you're not seeing the benefits of, 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 of what Christ did on the cross of Calvary. You're, you're still finding yourself struggling with the same things that you're struggling every single day. And I'm telling you, the reason being is because your focus has not been eternity. Your focus has been a, 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 a temporal. And as a result of that, you have a great... Now, you may not want to hear this. You've had a greater devotion to hell than you have to heaven. you hear me? Your devotion to hell has been greater than that to your devotion to heaven. Why? Because that's where perishing, the, uh, the condition of perishing is going to take us. Folks, listen. We have got to come to the place where our devotion is not two-sided. That we're not uh, torn or halt between two opinions. That where we're at is we're going to be focused upon Him. And as we recognize sin, as we recognize the diabolical nature of the sin nature, we recognize those things, we repent, and we allow those things to be uh, uh, removed from our lives, and we go on focusing upon eternity. And if something else shows up, we don't try to justify it. We don't try to, to, to make a provision for it. We don't try to welcome it into our lives and say, well, it's just a little thing. It's just one of them. It's not too much. I don't totally get involved in that stuff. Folks, we've got to come to the place and the understanding where our devotion is on the things of eternity. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is where we come to the place of, of utter and, and, and known uh, intimacy with, with Christ Jesus. Not everyone that says unto Him, Lord, Lord, shall inherit the kingdom. But those that do the what? The will of my Father who is in heaven. Not my will, but thine be done. Focus, uh, the, the eternal focus is going to produce the eternal will. And so when it says, indeed, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, if you're walking according to the flesh, you're walking according to the place of the perishing. You are devoted to hell. And you've got to walk past that place. And so verse 11, he says, For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me and it slew me. And so Paul, folks, listen, he was not the only one that was deceived by these type of things. Listen, like I said, we've been deceived by those, those things as well. And so... But what he's telling us is, is when the law came, it became that instrument of death. It became that thing to reveal to us our deception. And so we've got to recognize those things. 
and, and allow the truth of the Word of God to come and expose us. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way within me. That way I can begin to remove the scales from off of my eyes and I can get to the place of an eternal perspective. Then it says, Wherein the law is holy and the commandment holy and it's just and it's good. Folks, I want to tell you something. The, the law that he's speaking of here it is, is, is good. And you know, it, it's because it, it's really it's a revelation of himself. It's a revelation of the divine standard. When I'm talking about it, I'm not talking about the, the 600 additional laws that the, that the Jews applied to it. I'm talking about the moral standard that God gave us in the law of Moses. Uh, those things were designed for, for a purpose and, and to accomplish a purpose, and that's to reveal that we needed Him, that we had to come to the place. The problem is with all of us that there's something inside of us that came as a result of the, the fall that, that, that makes us believe that we can actually live up to God's standards apart from God, that we don't have to be devoted to Him, that there's something in us through, maybe it's our own will, maybe it's our own, uh, 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 what do we call it, uh, willpower, or it's our own determination that somehow we can do these type of things. Folks, listen, if we ever get to that point, we are deceived, just like Paul said, listen, I got deceived by the things that I knew. I got deceived by my own acts of supposed righteousness. And so, folks, we, we've already stated that, that it bleeds over into the hearts of Christians, and we've got to get to that place where, where we cease to think that we can contribute anything to the will of God, that we can contribute anything to Him, to, to, to our salvation. And so then he goes on to say, the commandment, holy, just, and good. And so the, the commandments of God, they're holy, they're just, and they're good. And so what, it, what that does, that addresses the demands of the law. They're holy because the law was holy because God gave the holy. They're just because all they do is state the demands that God has, and they're good because everything that God does is right. And so what the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit does to the Apostle Paul is explains to us, really, there's, there's, the law comes and man wants to blame God for his problems. If you remember, I read a while back a letter that an atheist put on his website concerning us. And basically what he said, he said, if it wasn't for your Christ, you Christians, no one would feel guilty. He said that people wouldn't think that they had to have a God if y'all didn't tell them that there was sin, if you didn't, if you didn't preach a consequence or this eternal hell. He said that people wouldn't feel guilty. He said the reason people have guilt and shame is because of you Christians. That's exactly what he says uh, right here in this verse. He said the law is holy and good and the commandment is good. Paul the Apostle is saying, listen, you can't blame the, the law. You can't blame the commandments for your guilt. Uh, and your shame, all they do is point out what's already there. And so he goes on to say in the verse, uh, when that which is good, uh, was that then which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin, that it might appear sin, works death in me by that which is good, that sin might, uh, by the commandment, might become exceedingly sinful. Folks, listen, the reason that God exposed all those things and continues to do it by His Holy Spirit today is to show us all those things in our life that are exceedingly sinful and will separate us from Him for eternity. I don't know about you guys, but I get challenged every single day. Every single day. We had a discussion uh, uh, the other day about an issue that uh, my sister here in the studio audience, she said, you know what, I, I'm, I'm not even going to get into the, the details of it because it's unimportant. But there's something in her life that, that she did not have any personal convictions about. And so, you know, we got to talking about the subject, and I, I, I didn't even realize that this was something she didn't want convicted about. And we brought up the subject matter, and she got convicted. <clears throat> but she made the point. She said, I feel so bad about what I've done in the past. And I said, sis, really, don't feel bad about what you did. What you've got to be concerned about now is what God is convicting you about. 
Because where there was no law, there was no sin. But what happened is the law came in and He convicted her and the light came on. And she said, how can I have been deceived? Well, because you didn't have the, the law that came in. The law just hadn't been the truth about this circumstance, whatever it may have been. But as a result of that, what she do? She didn't say, listen, I'm going to harden my heart. That was something that I, 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 uh, I was okay with for years, and so I'm going to continue to be okay with it. No, immediately, she said, I need to begin to make uh, restitution and, and, and restoration in regards to, to my devotion to these type of things. And so that's exactly what we've got to do. Is God brings a greater revelation to issues in our life, we've got to say, you know what, I may have been devoted to those things in the past, but I am eternally focused. I'm not going to say just because I agreed with those things previously, I'm going to continue to do it. My focus is upon heaven. My devotion is upon, uh, devotion is upon on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And, and, and those things were given just to make the manifestation of those things in my life. And so that's really what uh, verses 12 and 13 are just saying the exact same thing that was said in, in verses 9, 10, and 11. That He's bringing those things out and revealing those things to expose us. And I want to I want to read verse 14 because I want to spend most of the time uh, tomorrow uh, devoted to the next two verses. He says, "For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin." And so, folks, listen. The law is spiritual. What does he mean by the law is spiritual? He means that the law was given to expose us on a spiritual level. And so, what it does, it opens your eyes. It, it, it gives you an eternal perspective. It shows you what God is thinking. It shows you what God expects. It's the exact same thing that came to pass when Adam fell. Immediately he fell, and he got to see the consequences of the law. He got to see the, 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 uh, the, what the law would bring. It would change his perspective from a perspective of the everlasting to a perspective of the perishing. And so, I am carnal, he said, I am sold under sin. Now, what Paul was saying was, and let's put that in perspective, when he says, I'm carnal, sold under sin, what he was saying is, when I lose my perspective, what do I do? I come back to a place of devotion to the natural man. I come to a devotion to hell. I come to a, a devotion to those things that are going to perish, those things that are going to bring ruin into my life. Folks, listen. If I can just summarize all this, this, this parenthetical statement from, from verses really 9 through 14 this morning, is what he's saying is, listen, all of these things are, are coming to show us and reveal to us that we lose our perspective on things. We, we lose our devotion to the eternal. We, we lose our devotion to the things that are everlasting, those things that are righteous. And as a result, we allow the, the sin nature to come and bring rulership over our lives. And so what we're going to get into in, in, in really the next two or three verses tomorrow in this is, is that we've got to come to the place, folks, where we see uh, uh, righteousness for what it is, and we see unrighteousness for what it is. And we're gonna, I'm going to talk about and explain that statement uh, a little bit more detail tomorrow. Folks, we are totally out of time this morning, but i got one bit of advice for you. Get into God's Word. God's Word. Get into God's Word.